Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Outgrow's Marketer of the Month. I'm your host, Dr. Saksham Shada. I'm the creative director at Outgrow.co. And for this month, we're going to interview Eric Fulweiler, who is the CEO at Rival, which is a marketing consultancy that works with challenger brands. Thanks for joining us, Eric. Thanks for having me. So Eric, we're going to start with a rapid fire round just to break the ice. You get three passes. In case you don't want to answer the question, you can just say pass but try to keep your answers to one word or one sentence only, okay? How many questions are there? I actually have no idea. It's in bullets. <laughs> Probably like 10, right. 12. Just yeah. want to know how selectively <laughs> I need to be with my passes. 10 or 12, yeah, I think. All right, let's do it. At what age do you want to retire? 50. How long does it take you to get ready in the mornings? Two minutes. Most embarrassing moment of your life? With one word? That's hard. Or sentence. It can be a word or a sentence. Oh, it can be a sentence. Mm -hmm. I sent an email to the CMO of GE mm -hmm. when I was an account executive at an advertising agency that was meant to be internal. Leave it that way. <laughs> okay. Favorite color? Green. What time of day are you most inspired? 5 a.m. How many hours of sleep can you survive on? Survive is different than feel okay, mm -hmm. but I think you mean feel okay, so six. Mm -hmm. Fill in the blank, an upcoming marketing trend is blank. Artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. The city in which the best kiss of your life happened. Boston, Massachusetts. Pick one, Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey. Zuckerberg. The biggest mistake of your career? Not being patient enough. How do you relax? Working out. How many cups of coffee do you drink in a day? Too many. A Eight to ten. Okay. A habit of yours that you hate? that was a big sigh the most valuable skill you've learned in life choose one. <laughs> the most valuable skill you've learned in life self-awareness mm -hmm. and the last one is your favorite netflix show pass okay uh, so you had two passes uh that was pretty good and uh we can move on to the longer questions but i'm interested on your in your take on AI being the biggest marketing trend, since it's all over the place now? I think, I think so my fundamental take on it is I think people are underestimating the impact that it's going to have on the marketing industry, but particularly the creative and the services side mm. of our industry. But it is one of those things where it's people overestimate what's going to happen in a year and underestimate what's going to happen in 10 years. Uh, you know, you look at Web3, and everything that people thought would be happening by 2023 in that space. And I'm not necessarily saying that AI is tracking the same arc as Web3 with like crypto winter and everything that's going on right now. But mm. I do really think that, you know, this whole debate and discussion that I find fascinating around, well, a human needs to do that, especially around creativity. There needs to be a human being in order to come up with these ideas that take us great leaps forward. I'm not an expert in AI but I really feel like we're underestimating how different things are going to be 10 years from now and overestimating how different they're going to be 12 months from now. 
So what are some of the underestimations and overestimations? That to be honest, I don't really know. Mm -hmm. Uh, To be honest, I don't really know. And um, I'm not trying to, I guess I am trying to cop out on the answer, but Mm -hmm. I think the way that I think about it, and whenever I get a question that's like, you know, predictions or trends or things like that, I actually don't think it's about and try not to try to predict what's going to happen. I think it's more important to set yourself and your business up to be able to adapt quickly when things do happen. So for us at Rival, for example, with how we work with our clients, it's less about us being an expert in AI right now and us actually trying to understand and get close to the businesses that are building this technology so that when the time is right, we can bring that to our clients. Hmm. Okay. And what about businesses who are not able to do that fast enough? I think the most important thing and the most underutilized thing that everybody can do is just spend more time learning about this stuff Hmm. and what's out there. You know, the way I think about it is what gets prioritized gets done. And if you're anything like me, what goes in your calendar or what you put on your to-do list is what gets prioritized. And so if you think this stuff is important, set Hmm. a recurring 30-minute meeting to just go Google it, ask around, start learning, start getting your hands dirty with it. I think too many people just sit on the sidelines and think they need a mentor or a course or a consultant Mm. to tell them what to do. You just got to get started getting started, start spending time with it. If you're listening to a podcast like this, you're somewhat interested in what's going on in the industry. You just got to take action to actually start learning about what's out there. And that'll automatically put you in probably the top five to 10% of people out there. And how much time are you spending on learning or playing with ChatGPT or any of those? Not enough. <laughs> after, after this conversation, I'm going to put it in my calendar. <laughs> okay, fair. No, I spent uh, the entirety of Christmas playing with ChatGPT. So Smart. I am pretty thrilled <laughs> as in during the travel times involved getting to places. But yeah. But anyhow, moving on to something else. Now, what inspired you to start Rival and what sets it apart from other marketing innovation consultancies at this moment? So it's funny. I see where you're going with the question. I'm not sure that I would choose the word inspired. Hmm. I had a CMO role that I wasn't super happy with. I'd been there for about two and a half years. I was looking for another CMO role. I didn't find one. In the back of my mind, had always been a bit of an itch to scratch on, will I start my own company at some point through a combination of not finding something else I wanted to do? You know, going back to who are now my co-founders and rival, them being open to the idea of starting something, it just so happened that we started a business. So I'm not one of those people who is or believes that you need to be a quote unquote purebred entrepreneur. You always had this big idea. You know, there's not some fascinating made for TV story about how we started rival. It was as much practical as it was inspirational, I guess. Now with the business, I like to think we have a bit of an inspirational idea of what we actually want to do. Um, but it's a bit of a different story of like founding story. And, and the way I think about it is I think if you play out my career a hundred different times, maybe 60 of them end up with me starting my business. Cause I think I do have entrepreneurial tendencies, but I could have just as easily found another CMO role and done that until I was 50 and ready to retire. Hmm. And so where do you think, uh, well, speaking of marketing innovation, where do you think that is headed in consultancy field? I think it's interesting because a lot of what we do, you know, I've actually used the word marketing innovation less because I think a lot of what we do is, marketing fundamentals 
applied to the world of today. And what I mean by that is if you take the four Ps or the six Ps or whatever framework you want about what marketing really is, it all boils down to shifting perception and behavior around your brand and business. And what it takes to do that has not changed over the last five years, over the last 10 years, over the last 50 years, because human beings haven't changed all that much over that period of time. But what has changed is the cultural, technological, competitive media landscape around how you change perception and behavior. So oftentimes with the work that we do, even though a lot of people think of us as an innovation consultancy, challenger marketing, being next generation, new age, it's really about the fundamentals, but done in a slightly different way to be more fit for purpose for where the world is right now. And so you do believe that these fundamentals are not going to be changed by the next marketing trend that is AI in any particular significant way that they have remained the same through several eons and will continue to be? I guess it depends on how you define fundamentals. For mm-hmm. me, what, I'm, what I mean by fundamentals is that idea of changing perception and behavior through the story that you tell, the places that you tell it. And it's basically what you put in front of people and where you do it. That I don't think is going to change. The fundamentals of what a successful brand looks like, how you go to market in an effective and efficient way, the technology that you use within your MarTech stack, the culture within the organization that you need to build, those things I think need to change and adapt. But underlying all of that and a lot of what we end up getting to in the work that we do, whether it's for a challenger business or an incumbent business that's looking to think and act more like a challenger is really about those fundamentals. So could you share some examples of how you've helped businesses develop a marketing mindset and model that leads to hyper growth? Sure. Um, so a couple of the examples from recent projects that I can speak to. So I'll take one on the on the challenger side of things, one on the incumbent side of things, because actually while we are about challenger brands, that can either be the, call it true challenger, the disruptor to a category, or it can be more the established brand and business that actually needs to think like a challenger in order to stay as the established incumbent. So on the challenger side, we worked with a um, a payments business based here in London that is essentially trying to rebuild cross-border bank-to-bank settlement. So it's basically how money moves between banks internationally. And what we did with them is we developed a new brand positioning for how they went to market for, of course, the brand and that, you know, ended up being like a website that looked different and a look and feel that looked different and, you know, sales collateral that looked different. But really what it meant is clarifying and aligning the organization on how they talked about what they did. Because the problem that they brought us in to help solve is like, sure, the scope of work for us looks like, hey, we're going to develop a new brand proposition for you. But what that means in terms of a job to be done for the business, the business outcome they wanted to solve for was we do all these amazing things. But if you ask 10 people internally how to say that, you get 10 different answers. So that's what we helped them with. On the other end of the spectrum, we recently redid the global brand strategy and positioning for Reebok. So as you can imagine, the process to get there working with a brand like Reebok versus a you know 50-person fintech startup here in London was very different. And for them, it was new CEO, new owner. We want to tap into the heritage and the legacy of this amazing brand, but really put a new stamp on it, put our stamp on it, 
of where we see Reebok fitting within the retail and athletic uh, world, really. And so the output was similar in terms of a deck, essentially, using our methodology to develop what we call a brand operating system. But the job to be done was slightly different. And so how easy is it to predict hyper growth in the first place? hard. I think it's hard. I've never, I've never thought about that question. I, I think it's hard to predict, but I guess tying back to what I was saying about fundamentals. Well, let me take a step back. I think, you know, we do a lot of work in, in CPG and retail, a lot in financial services as well. And the, the last CMO role I had was in the fintech world. So that, that's part of it, but also there's a lot of change. There's a lot of challenger brands in the fintech space. Um, and working with a lot of technology businesses, product led businesses, there can sometimes be a bit of that, call it tension or, uh, you know, critical perspective on the role of marketing and brand and whether or not it makes sense to invest in it, how to invest in it, et cetera. I actually think the best marketing is a great product and especially for early stage businesses, but actually at any stage, the most important thing is having product market fit. Having a product that people need and want that is not being delivered by the competitive set. However, in order to maximize the potential of your business, or if you're launching something new to give your product or service or new market the best chance of being successful, you need a great product and a great marketing plan and a great brand and a great way that you're actually going to go to market. And so it's really both those things. So I think it might be hard to predict hyper growth if you think about it that way, but there are ingredients that are critical to giving you the best opportunity to drive that hyper growth, that type of challenger growth. And to what extent do you feel that marketing should or can influence product to kind of try to align it to the market? hundred percent. Hmm. It's black and white for me. You know, again, if you go back to the four P's, the fundamentals of marketing, product positioning, it's in there from the very beginning. And actually, and you know, we have the benefit of, like I said, working with these challengers and these incumbents and actually seeing what they do differently, seeing the contrast between how these next generation, new age businesses are going to market and how the legacy ones are. And a big thing that the challenger brands are doing very well is they are viewing marketing as how I think it should be defined, which is not what your brand looks like, what your advertising looks like, not even your advertising overall. It's so much more fundamental than that. Good marketing, when done well, is the bridge that connects the value of your product to the needs of the market. And I use bridge purposefully as the word because I think it needs to be a two-way street. It should be taking the story that you want to tell about your product to the market, but it should also be taking the needs of the market and bringing it back to your product. Use the example of Monzo. The last business I was in, the co-founder, one of the co-founders there was also the co-founder of Monzo. If you look at what they did for quote unquote marketing for the first couple of years of that business, there wasn't any advertising. There wasn't anything that you know non-marketers would call marketing, but what they did is they focused on building a community around their brand. They built things like, uh, I think it's called forum.monzo.com or some type of like Reddit style portion of their website where customers could submit product ideas for them. They brought the... They brought the customer into the organization. And I think great marketers, great marketing teams make the businesses they work for more customer centric. So I absolutely believe in the role of marketing to inform and help guide the product roadmap as well.
And what have been some of the key learnings from your career building some of the world's biggest brands? Uh, how have these shaped your approach to consulting at Rival? I think the biggest one is it's all about the people at the end of the day. The best strategy, the newest technology, doesn't matter if you don't have the right people set up in the right way. And maybe that's a little bit cliche, but usually things are cliche because they're based on truth. And so like anything, it comes down to how well you execute. And when it comes to people, that means getting the best people on board and setting them up to be successful in any way that you can. Um, I think going back to basics and fundamentals, you know, obviously that's a red thread and a drum that I'm beating consistently in this conversation. Uh, but I really believe in that. And then the other thing is, um, you know, when you think about challenger brands, there's obviously so many different things that they're doing. But if you boil it all down, if I had to pick one sentence of what makes challenger brands different is they're fit for purpose for the world of today because they're able to think and act from scratch for how things are right now. If you are a legacy business, chances are you are taking how something used to be done, how something was fit for purpose for 20 years ago or even two years ago, and trying to adapt it to the world of today. You're trying to change how you used to do things to make them how they are right now. Challenger brands, by the nature of them being new and them being more long-term oriented, are able to fit how things are right now by being able to think about things from scratch. So I think that's the other one is, you know, no, hardly any businesses are brand new right now, but I think that exercise of how would you do things differently if you were going to start them over right now is a really helpful prompt for people to think through and one that I do for my own business. Uh, so what are the four P's of marketing that you've referenced many times for viewers who might not know about them? Product, positioning, I'm going to have to Google them, hold on. Okay. Product, uh, product, price, place, and promotion. Mm -hmm. So some more homework from these to go back and reread about the four Ps. There's also the six Ps, which I think maybe that's the one that brings in positioning. Mm. But basically, this is stuff that's been around for a while. Mm. You know, again, marketing fundamentals. And so, again, if you're a marketer that is not familiar with these, that hasn't read up on these, I definitely encourage you to. And so these are one of the fundamental things that you're talking about that doesn't change despite despite the technological changes, because it's just so rapidly evolving technology that some kind of fundamentals are needed. But there was this and there was another one that you talked about. Uh, another set of fundamentals. I don't quite remember. Somewhere Could have been it. the six Ps. Ah, okay. All right. Anywho. Uh, so let's yeah. let's move on to the next question, which is, uh, so you've had experience with both B2B and B2C marketing. How do the strategies differ and are there any key principles that you think apply across both sectors? Uh, yes, I think there's a lot of similarities. I mean, we do a decent amount of work in B2B and I actually get excited about B2B clients and brands because I think the bar is lower in many cases, because most organizations, most B2B organizations are more sales led with how they approach growth. And so there's an opportunity for those that are willing and able to be more brand led to really stand out. Um, you know, I don't want to get too repetitive about the fundamentals, but what I would say as a different way of talking about what's consistent is 
you know, there's some people that have talked about how it's not B2B or B2C, it's B2H, business to human. Hmm. Again, maybe a little bit cliche, but I think it's true. At the end of the day, you know, people don't change who they are just because they log into their work email working for a B2B business. And I think if you look at some of the successful up-and-coming challenger B2B brands, they're a lot more human in their brand, in their tone of voice, in their marketing communication. Um, so that's one for sure. And so do you have more fun working with B2B brands in general? Do I have more fun? Uh, I think it depends more on the client. Back to my point about people. Mm. You know, there's Reebok and there's whatever other brand, but then there's the people that you get to work with there. And that's my theory about consulting firms and agencies as well, is there's the logo on the door and then there's the people that you actually get to work with. And that's the most important part. Speaking of different industries that you've tried working, tried working with, you've worked in the financial services industry, especially in fintech. Uh, how has the industry changed in the last few years and what trends do you see emerging in the future? Oh man, it's changed a ton. I mean, I don't, I certainly don't, call myself a fintech expert, particularly mm. after working with some of the people that I did at 11FS. Um, but it's really unbelievable how much has changed and having been on the inside for a little while, how much is still yet to change. You know, us normal people outside of financial services think of FS as, you know, banking, insurance, payments, you know, the stuff that we kind of see and interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. There is an entire world, an entire ecosystem of financial services, you know, talking about that cross-border bank-to-bank settlement startup that we worked with earlier that you don't even think of that are required and necessary to basically make the world of money work. And they are as much, if not more so, ripe for disruption than the banking, insurance, payments, the you know, sometimes I think of it as like that's the skin layer on the financial services organism, but all of it is due to be disrupted because a lot of it was built for a world that's different than the one of today. And it takes a lot longer to disrupt a world that's more entrenched, that's more regulated, mm -hmm. where people are a little bit less willing and open to changing how they do things because it's their money rather than their shoes. So I'm, um, I get motivated every time I think about that because I think there's, I think there's so much opportunity. So in several of your interviews, you've talked a lot about creativity. So what do you think your relationship with creativity is? How do you foster creativity in your teams and in different industries? And how do you think it's important in the field of marketing? Well, you know, obviously, I think it's important in the field of marketing. I think a lot about kind of creative and analytics, art and science, that dynamic uh, that's required within marketing, both of those things. I would actually consider myself probably more of a math and data marketer than a creative marketer, actually, but I think they're both essential. I think the most important thing for me in terms of fostering creativity in teams is to give people the space and support they need to approach problems the way that they want to approach them. So I think it's less about saying, hey, everybody needs to be creative, and it's more about trying to understand, back to my one of the rapid fire questions about self, about, um, you know, a skill that I've learned or something that I really value self-awareness. Hmm. I think you need that as a manager as well to understand where people's strengths lie, how they like to work. And if that's more of a creative person, understanding how to support them. If it's more of an analytical person, understanding how to support them. But I think the best output 
the fastest growth of your business comes from understanding who you are as an organization, who you are as a manager, who your people are as a team, and trying to support them in the best way you can. So what have been your, what advice would you give to people who are similarly looking to start their own companies? It's really hard. <laughs> However hard you think it's going to be, it's like that thing they say about home renovations, twice as long, <laughs> twice as much. But I would also, I would also add, and you know, something I've talked about a good amount and really will do for anybody who's willing to listen. I think it's twice as hard mentally and psychologically to be a entrepreneur, certainly to be a founder or co-founder. So I'm not necessarily saying that to scare people off, but I think two things. One, make sure that, at least for me, you know, this is my experience, so maybe people will be more successful straight out of the box or more able to weather the entrepreneurial psychological storm than I have been. But I think, you know, set your expectations accordingly in terms of how much work it's going to take, in terms of how many people say they're going to give you a project to how many do when you actually launch the business. For example, everybody's got the best intents, but everybody also has to focus on you know, them and what they care about and getting people to part with their money, aka revenue. Mm. And really it's about cash flow as an early business. It just gets a lot harder to actually make the sausage than to develop the recipe. But I think the other thing that's really important for me is just for people to hear that it's okay that it's hard and other people are struggling like me. doesn't necessarily mean that we're going out of business. Things are actually going pretty well. But I'm kind of obsessed with this Instagramification <laughs> of LinkedIn where everybody talks about the wins and the headlines and the accolades and the new clients and all that stuff. And I do my, sh my fair share of that. But I also try to put out a post every once in a while that was like, you know what? I had a shitty week. Or... There's nothing amazing to share right now, and that's okay, because much like on Instagram and everything that's been documented about how that affects people, particularly younger people's psychology, I think it's important to recognize that a lot of people are finding it harder than they make it out to seem, and that's okay. You're not alone. Hmm. Where do you think the entire concept of LinkedIn is heading as such now that it is becoming just every day about these success stories and everything do you think it's going to lead to an eventual collapse is there going to be a lack of authenticity there what are we looking at there's already a lack of authenticity i mean linkedin it's amazing watching how well they've executed their strategy to diversify outside of recruitment revenue it wasn't that long ago they were 95 mm -hmm. recruitment revenue now they've become a legitimate content and advertising platform and they've seen what Facebook and Instagram and Twitter have done. Um, and at the end of the day, it's human nature. Mm. You know, most people don't want to get on a podcast and talk about how hard it is to be an entrepreneur. Most people don't want to post on LinkedIn about what didn't go well that week. And th that's okay. I think it's just the awareness of what's actually going on and also the self-awareness as an individual of who you are and why you're doing something. But I don't, I don't really see things playing out any differently on LinkedIn. I do think that there's an opportunity for people to be more honest. I think that's one of the, maybe not backlash, but that's one of the counter trends of everything that's been going on in social media is people are a little bit more open and hungry for honesty and authenticity. So I hope that LinkedIn as a platform 
tries to push things in that direction. All right. So the last question of this podcast is of a personal kind. Uh, it is, what would you be doing in your life if not this right now? Well, as I said earlier, I'd probably have a CMO job somewhere. <laughs> but I think what you probably mean is more of the, you know, what would I, what would I like to be doing? Um, you know, I, I do think that it'd probably be in an earlier stage or starting a business of some type. Um, I came very close to opening a coffee shop in Boston, where I'm from at mm. one point. And that's because I've always been fascinated by hospitality, food and beverage, those experiences that are so easy to package up and make amazing or terrible. And the ones that are face-to-face, hand-to-hand with people. And so I think I'd be doing something like that, a restaurant, a coffee shop, a hotel. I'm not sure, but that's always on my mind. Okay, well, hospitality is one service that is going to survive AI, so <laughs> you're thinking in the right direction. Okay, well, that's the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this month's episode of Outgrows Market of the Month. That was Eric Fulweiler. Thanks for joining us, Eric. Thanks so much for having me. Check out their website for more details, and we'll see you once again next month with another Marketer of the Month.